Over the last several weeks, we've been doing a series called Getting Through the Tough Stuff. And uh, we've covered quite a bit of uh, topics over the last several weeks. We're going to continue in that series this morning, but I just want to give you a heads up that next week I'll be talking about getting through the tough stuff of addiction and dealing with specifically addiction of pornography. And so as parents, I want you to just be aware of that. Uh, we may figure out something to do with the younger kids next week. They're not quite uh, teenagers yet, but not necessarily in the children's church, but it's a growing epidemic that's not getting any less uh, a problem, and, and uh, we're seeing it in the church as well. So just so you know, I want to give you a heads up. But today, getting through the tough stuff, and uh, one of the requests that I had to speak on in this series was getting through the tough stuff of being content, contentment. So I want to start the message today with a simple question. It's a yes or no question uh, that each of us can ask ourselves. And here's my request to you, though. Before you answer that question, I got a first preliminary question. Here it is. It's real simple. Will you be honest? Will you be honest? So why do I want you to ask, answer that question first? Because it's really easy to lie to ourselves. I'm not, I'm not discontent. I'm pretty content. I have everything under control. Right. Really? I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot of us that struggle with these things. So, first of all, before you answer the question, answer the preliminary question. Will you be honest? So here's the other question I want you to answer this morning. Are you content? Let's be honest about it. Are you content as a person? And let me just say, God knows the answer to that question. So let's take a quick look at the definition of contentment. Contentment, according to several dictionaries, is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Wow. If I go by that definition, am I happy and am I satisfied? Most of us, let's once again be honest, are you really content? But let's take it a step further. The definition of contentment from a biblical perspective, at least according to the Holman Bible Dictionary, is an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes and external circumstances. Let me say that one more time. An internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. In other words, I don't have to change anything in my life to be content. It's not based on changes I can or cannot make or changes that I do or do not make. So from my perspective, happiness and contentment are not synonymous. They're not one and the same. I can necessarily, theoretically, I can have contentment without necessarily being happy. But how many of us are? We kind of look at our circumstances. We look at what we can and cannot do. We look at what we have and don't have. We look at all these external circumstances. And if those things are all proper and in place according to our expectations, well, then I'm happy and satisfied and I can be content. But if I don't have what I want, I don't have what I need, and I don't see a way to change it, well, then I'm not happy, and then I'm not satisfied, and I'm not content. But really, we ought to have contentment without necessarily being happy. So is that biblical? I really do believe it is. So there are a lot of things that contentment can apply to. For example, our family sometimes. 
you know, I've met different folks who say, well, I have regrets. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that with my children. I wish we could have done whatever, fill in the blank. And because I did, I'm just not satisfied. I'm not happy. I'm not content. I wish I could have go back and change some things. And I have these regrets. And maybe I should have married so-and-so. That's a scary one. I've had a guy come to me one time and he says, Pastor, I think I married the wrong person. What should I do? Love them because you made a commitment now. Can't go back and unmarry that person. Well, you can, but it's not really likely and normal. The world has made exceptions for those areas. But once you're married, you love them. You say committed. I've had people say, well, I'm not content with my job. You wish you. You look back and you say, I wish I worked for and fill in the blank of that company. If I could go back 20 years and know what I know now back then, I would have chosen to work in this field. You can't undo 20 years. You can't undo one year. You can't undo a day. But because of your circumstances, you're not content. And you're certainly not happy about it. Or your possessions. Boy, if I had this, life would be so much easier and better. Right? I mean, if I just had these things, everything would be so much... I'd be happier, I'd be satisfied if I could just get to that... Mm, that place where I could have this. Or maybe it's a position. If I could just get to this position, then everything else underneath it would take care of itself and I could be content there. How much is really enough? How much is enough? When you look at the world's wealthiest people and how driven they are to get more, how much is enough for me to be content. We can apply this to almost anything in life. You can apply it to education. You can apply it to a hobby. You can apply any. You fill in the blank. You can apply it to that. I want to, before I get into the actual message of the Word of God, I want to give one more illustration. It's kind of a humorous one that happened just the other day. Um, one particular morning, uh, we were just kind of getting out and about, just kind of starting the day. And we happened to flip the TV on. It was on HGTV, House Hunters. Anybody ever watched that before? Every once in a while, we'll catch HGTV's House Hunters. And it was kind of interesting because they always have what they call the must-have list. You know, we have our budget, but we, these are the things that you must have within that budget. So here's a lady who really had an extensive must-have list. And here was her must-have. It must be a custom home. In other words, it cannot be a track home. It cannot be a mobile home. It cannot be anything where there's any other house like it. It's got to have specific features that make this house custom so that when someone comes down my neighborhood, there's not two houses that look alike. Even if it's on this end and one's on the opposite end, they cannot be the same. It must be custom. And I'm not going to budge on that. It must have five bedrooms. And the realtor looked at her and said, so how many children do you have? One little girl. Do you have plans for more children? Well, not probably, not really sure, but more than likely, no. But you need five bedrooms. Yes, that's a must-have. It must have a finished basement. It must have a half acre of yard. Because I've got a new Z-turn, the guy says. And I goes, I want to have fun with my Z-turn. And here's another must-have. It must have three-car garage because I need one stall for that Z-turn. 
That was a must-have. And then the last one was, it must be within two miles of my work. <laughs> and the realtor kind of went like this. And then the husband looks at the lady and says, Honey, I, I don't think you're going to get all these with that budget. That's his job, pointing to the realtor. And the realtor once again goes, let me see what I can come up with. What would it look like to be content in your life? Is all my contentment based off what I have or don't have, what I can do or can't do? What would it take to be content? I mean, think about it. I mean, all the guys that are in professional sports. I remember when I was in high school, I just graduated from high school, and I remember the first astronomical salary that was given. It was given to, I think, Shaquille O'Neal or Sean Kemp, one or the other, $57 million for like a four-year contract, and they had yet to play on a professional court. I thought, wow, does it really take that kind of money to live? Well, I suppose it does if you're going to have 14 cars and a, you know, a 87,000 square foot mansion. You can only drive one car at a time. But have you ever noticed that all these professional athletes who make millions in their life, 20 years after they retire, are down to very little? Tax problems, money problems, and very little of what they started out with. But they had to have it all in the search of being content. Your job, your stuff. If you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Philippians. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are several Bibles there on the credenza that back there by Paul. You'll raise your hand, he'll give you one. If you need one, you're welcome to keep it. It's the same translation that I preach from, um, but you're welcome to have that if you don't have one. It's yours. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. There are two unique phrases in that verse I want to highlight. Now, I'm gonna, uh, as I go through some of these verses, I just want to highlight some key phrases in these verses that will help us understand a little bit more about contentment. And the first phrase that Paul says here, he says, I have learned. I have learned. You see, I don't think there are a lot of things in life that come naturally. I don't know about you, but you, with your children and how you've raised your children, but my kids didn't come out of the womb saying, I just want to serve you, Mom and Dad. I just want to be perfect in your sight. That never happened. <laughs> See, through discipline and instruction, they learn to obey. Through discipline and instruction, we can learn to be content. Paul says, I have learned to be content. It was something that you have to work for. Something that doesn't always come natural. It's something that I have to be honest about myself because we live in a culture where every other country around the world wants to come to this culture so that they can have it all. And yet we have everything that we need and we're still not satisfied. We're not content. 
So we have to have the discipline and the instruction from God's word to help us learn to be content. I look at the Apostle Paul and everything that he went through, I'm sure it was a, not an easy process. But he disciplined himself. And with God's help, he says, I have learned to be content. And learning to be content means I have to say no to some things and say yes to some better things. And then he says, in whatever circumstances I find myself. Boy, it's really easy to be content when it looks like everything's in place, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to be content when the refrigerator is full, when the cupboards are stacked, uh, when the car runs good, when the job is going okay, and the income's coming in. Those are all circumstantial things that when they're in place, I am, man, I am content. God is so good to me, right? But what happens when the car breaks down and it's got some mileage on it? What happens when, boy, money's a little bit tight and you got company coming, but you still have to find sources for groceries? Then reality sets in. I don't have everything that I want. There's some things that I'm not happy about. He says, in whatever circumstance I find myself in, what are the circumstances that, if we're honest with ourselves, we say, Boy, I wish this could improve. I wish this were better. I wish this wasn't so. And I think when we answer those kinds of questions, we come to the conclusion, those are the things that God are, is working on in my life that I need to maybe surrender or submit to Him so that I can take another step in my walk with Him and mature in those areas. But He said, I have learned. It doesn't come natural. I have learned. And number two, in whatever circumstance that I find myself in, and you know, some of us find ourselves in some unique circumstances. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 says this. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than Food and the body more than clothing. A couple phrases there once again. Don't worry about your life. In other words, don't worry about your food, your clothes, your drinks. But isn't that what we worry about every day of our life? I mean, three times a day we eat and drink. Every day we change clothes. Some of us, two or three times we change clothes. Because what I wore to church is not what I'm going to wear in the afternoon, and what I wear in the afternoon is not what I'm going to wear to bed, and, and if I happen to go out and do some yard work, well, I'm not going to change clothes again. We worry about all those things, don't we? Make sure that everything is right for the occasion. And some of us, and, and I'm not necessarily one of those us, but, man, we're worried about the brands. If it's not this brand, I, well, I'm not, I'm not wearing that. If it's not Nike, I... I if it's a Walmart shoe, I don't wear it. I only wear Nike because that's what satisfies me, makes me content. He says, don't worry about your life. How many of us worry about our life? We're anxious. We worry about this. We worry about that. We want everything to be in place. We want everything to just flow without the problems. And then he says, isn't life more if we could maybe rephrase it just slightly to make a practical application, aren't there some things more important than that? I think there are. 
think there's some things that are more important than whatever it is that I'm going to wear, whatever it is I'm going to eat or drink. And sometimes we need to sit back and be honest with ourselves once again. If we're not content, what is it that is robbing us of that contentment? A desire for this, a desire for that. What is it that is really taking away our contentment? A few verses down, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. It says, For the Gentiles er, er, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. As I'm reading through that verse, I begin to think, well, the Gentiles eagerly seek what things? Well, let's look back in chapter uh, 6 and look at verse 19. It says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Wait a minute, but isn't that what we do? Let me ask you a question. Do you have too much stuff? Let's be honest. But we're not really willing to get rid of our stuff. I remember a few years back that we moved. And if you've ever moved, it's a good challenge to say, wow, I haven't touched this in three years. We probably aren't going to touch it in the next three years. Let's get rid of it. But here's what I found. When we went on the road several years ago doing conferences and speaking at churches and so forth, we got rid of everything almost, almost everything. We emptied our house of everything. We took what we wanted as far as clothing and a few things and put it in a 40-foot fifth wheel, traveled across the country for a few years, and then we started a church. And then after five and a half years of being in Indiana and planting that church, we came here. You know what we realized? That we gave away everything we owned. And within five years, we had more junk than we knew what to do with again when we moved here of which some of you can attest to because you helped us move that junk. But man, we accumulate. Yeah, <laughs> amen. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we accumulate and accumulate and accumulate because we see and we want and we think we need to have it to make us content. Look, look at verse 19 again. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a good principle to live by. We were just talking about this yesterday. It's not wrong to have things, but it is wrong for the things to have you. We've got to guard against that. Because where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, that's why he's saying all these things, because the, the, the focus is wrong. They're distracted by the things. And he says, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Isn't that what he says? Isn't there something a little more important than that? What you eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. 
They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why don't you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflower of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. That was a convicting verse for me. Here's why. Because I try to take care of everything in life for my family. Most of us men are that way. We're geared that way. We're wired that way. But here's why I get a little bit out of focus. I think this is a need when really it's not a need. It's just a want. You see, most of us don't need a TV. But we'd rather have a 50-inch TV than a 30-inch TV. Is that a need or a want? It's a want, let's be honest. But that 50-inch, man, everything looks so much nicer and clearer and brighter and sharper. And these old eyes, man, we can justify it, we can reckon, and we can rationalize it. And if I had this one, I'll be a little bit more content. Are we learning to be content? Or are we learning to find ways to accommodate our wants? He says, if we could do with less and trust God more, he says, oh, you have little faith. How's your faith? Will you trust God with less? Maybe so that you can do more with other resources? Verse 31 says, So don't worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Isn't that amazing? And your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows that you need them. So here's what he says Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What's all these things that he's just been highlighting? Your clothes, your food your drinks, your life sustenance. He says, if you'll just trust me for those things, have faith in me for those things, your Father knows that you have need of them. He'll take care of you. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> and we can all say amen to that. So he says, the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added and provided for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, once again, something we don't really necessarily enjoy talking about, but he says in verses 9 and 10, So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I just make this phrase in light of those verses? It's okay not to have everything we want. None of us would choose the difficulties. We don't ask for those things. None of us chooses to have vehicles that don't want to run right. We don't wake up in the morning, see a flat tire, and say, well, praise God! Woo! I was hoping I'd get a flat tire today. We don't look forward to those things. 
if I just had new tires, I wouldn't have to worry about that. If I just had a car that run better, I wouldn't have to worry about that. You fill in the blank. What is it that, that distracts you in your contentment? So let me give you six principles of content living. Six principles for content living. First one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Key phrase in that, well, several key phrases in that verse, but the love of money. Wanting more money will lead to discontentment. He says this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I just had more. And how much more does it take to be content? It says many have had the love of money and by craving it they've wandered away from the faith. Can I just say, I know numerous people who by their own testimony were called to preach, who were called to ministry, were called to be missionaries. And because of the hardship and going without, they said, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I just don't want to deal with it. It's the focus that some of us have that leads us astray by wanting more. So can we just say principle number one, don't love money more than God. Don't love money more than God. He already promised in his other passages that he's going to take care of our every need. We just trust him. So he says, oh, you have little faith. Ask God to increase your faith. Ask God to give you greater trust. Ask God to to refine your desires. But don't love money more than God. We see a second one in Ecclesiastes chapter 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. It says, The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Number two, beware of that which will never bring satisfaction. Beware of that which will never bring satisfaction. He says, silver, if you really want more wealth from silver, it's not going to do it for you. You want wealth? You love wealth? It's not going to do it for you. Be careful of what will never satisfy when it comes to the world's goods. We need to be careful. We don't be distracted from what God has for us. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Be satisfied with what you have. I asked this question a long time ago to myself. As a teenager, watching my dad go through a lot of suffering, later on, years later, as I developed diabetes in my own life, I asked this question. And you can ask this question in whatever state you're at, you're at in life. What if this is as good as it gets? Just answer that question. What if this 
this life that we have, the circumstances that are our own, what if this is as good as it gets? Is it enough? Is it enough? So, Pastor, that's a dumb question. No, it's not. Think about it for a moment. What if God doesn't do anything more? What if God doesn't give you anything better or anything else? What if what you have is taken away? And what you're left with is all you have. Is it enough? Is it good enough? Here's my answer for that. I've already been given more than I deserve. I've already been given far more than I ever deserved. Think about this just for a moment. Who of us in this room didn't come here naked this morning? You have clothes on your body. Thankfully. Just saying. Who of us didn't have the ability to have food and drink this morning if you wanted it? Who of us didn't have blankets over our bodies as we slept last night in our nice warm beds underneath the roofs that God has provided? Who of us didn't... Okay, Mike and Betty, who of us didn't walk here this morning? We drove here. If God didn't do another thing for us, it's still far more than we ever deserved. And if he doesn't give us one more thing that we want or think we deserve, which he doesn't have to do, he has still been better than we deserve. says the one he says keep your life free from the love of money be satisfied with what you have for he himself has said i will never leave you or abandon you are you satisfied with where you're at content that god has been so good so good even if nothing else happens number four 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Understand, nothing goes with you when you die. Think about this. We work to get to buy and because we work to get to buy we have to go work more hours and save more to get more to cover more to cost more it's a circle it's a vicious circle at times and we're worried about it because we're not satisfied he says regardless of what you accumulate you can't take none of it with you none of it's going to go with you so the question is, once again, how much is enough? What will it take to, for, for me to be satisfied? Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And I say it this way, your life is not evaluated by what you have. Your life is not evaluated by what you have. It's amazing how, once again, house hunters, it must be a custom home. It must have five bedrooms. 
It must be within two miles of my work. It must have a half acre of land. It must have a three car garage. It must have, must have, must have. Why? Because I've got a status quo to keep up with. I mean, when people drive down my driveway, they have to know that it's not like everyone else's. People have to know that when they step in my house, it's different than theirs. It's better. It's custom. People have to know that if they come to my house, I've got five bedrooms. And I never could figure out this one out. This is a side note. Why would I have a four-bedroom house with six bathrooms? Fill that one in. Can't get to it. <laughs> Whatever. What will it take? Here's a sixth one. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I think this is a key one. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Can we learn to be thankful with what God has given us? Without the intent of having to have more. Give thanks. I've just found that when we're thankful for little, it goes a long way. Have you ever, just be honest, once again, have you ever sacrificed for somebody to help out with a perceived need that was presented? And so you sacrificed and gave to that need only to have been told something along this line. Well, it was good, it was okay, but I really needed... I mean, that, that was okay, but I really wanted... And you just feel like, wait a minute. I just sacrificed them gave you this, but it's not good enough? Has that ever happened to anyone? My hand's up. Two, two hands and a foot. Where I've given something to somebody because I felt like they really wanted it and they indicated that they needed it, only to find out that either A, they got rid of it right away because it wasn't what they really wanted, even though you sacrificed for it. I wonder how often I know God's not human and doesn't think like humans, but I wonder sometimes. God says, I have provided all these things, and you're still not satisfied. I've provided all these things, and you're still not content. I've given you life and health and breath. I've given you a house. I've given you clothes. I've given you a job. I've given you every, everything that you have is from me, God says. Everything. And you're still in your back of your mind trying to figure out how you can get or this or this because we struggle with contentment. It comes back to what Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Wherever I find myself, I have learned to be content. I can just imagine just for a moment Paul traveling from town to town, village to village and he didn't have a travel trailer, didn't have a F-350 to pull it. Um, sandals. I mean, didn't even have a good pair of Nikes. I mean, walking shoes weren't quite available like they are today. Flat leather sandals that had no arch support. <laughs> Going from town to town. And I can only imagine that Paul would have liked, quote-unquote, 
to have had a nice memory foam mattress to sleep in when he got there. Nice dinner. Got the greens, got the meat, you got the man, we grilled out, barbecue. I mean I, I no, I think what Paul got was let's stone him. Who does he think he is? Yeah, he says, I learned to be content. What's that teach us? We have to discipline ourselves. And, and, and heed God's instruction about what our focus and priorities ought to be in life. And if we don't, life is going to get tougher and tougher trying to figure out how we can get what we want and how we're going to pay for what we want and what it's really going to take for us to be happy, satisfied, and content. It's something we need to learn. I wonder, just one more thing and I close. We live in a world where credit card epidemic is crazy. Debt. People head over heels in debt. And it's not uncommon, I've been told, for the average young couple in America to have $30,000 on credit card. So it's crazy, right? Can I just, this, if this is you, I'm not trying to step on any toes. But I've told you this story before and I'm going to close with it. I can remember being in my truck, my little 1984 S10 Chevy pickup, loaded up, ready to head to Pennsylvania to unload my truck, and then to go on to Texas to get married in July of 94. And I can remember everything strapped down in the back of my pickup. My seatbelt was on, I put it in reverse, I got to the end of the driveway, and my dad steps out on the front porch. I'm like, really? I'm in my seatbelt. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to leave. And I didn't drive, pull up to the front of the driveway one more time. He goes, so I walked inside the front door. I'll never forget it, ever, as long as I live. And my dad, as I walked in the front door of our house for the last time, he said, you see that? 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 He was pointing to everything in the house pointed to the couch, he pointed to the TV, he pointed to the stereo system in the corner, he, he, he just pointed at everything in the entire house. And he just simply said these words, it took your mother and I 30 years to get this stuff, don't think you need it the first year of your marriage, have a safe trip. What am I supposed to do with that as I'm ready to go on a trip? I'll tell you what I did with it, I've never forgotten it. And here's where I said, if it steps on your toes, I'm sorry, but I just want to highlight it. How many of us know people who have gotten married in the last five years? And the first day they walk into after their marriage, their entire house is set up. Not just with a few things, but brand new furniture, brand new big TVs, two cars that they're painting on in the front yard, everything as if they've been married for 30 years. And a wallet full of debt on credit. Why? Because we're not content starting out with little. We're not content going without. People say to me often, well, I can't afford this or that. There's an article that was floating around Facebook last couple weeks, why millennials can't afford homes. It's called the $5 lattes twice a day every day of the week. Truth, right? 
What's four and five dollar coffees twice a day add up to for the 20 to 30 age group? It's not that they can't afford. It's that they choose to put their money in areas that have no return. A drink. We live in a world where we're not asked to learn to be content. We live in a world where we're not asked to go without. We live in a world where we think we must have to be happy and content and satisfied. I mean, because after all, everyone around us has these things. Why shouldn't we? And so the question does come to our mind. Are we content? If not, why? Are we willing to go without? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to be content and thankful for what God has already given us, even if he doesn't give us anything more? There's so many principles. I didn't cover half the principles of finances in Scripture this morning. But we get the idea. It's something that we have to learn to be. We need to learn to sacrifice. We need to learn to focus on what is most important. What are the priorities? And if it's not in our lives, it's going to create greater stress, greater anxiety, trying to keep up with everyone around you. Even as a church, there are times as a church, as a pastor, I say, man, I wish I had that church's budget. I mean, they just spent $200,000 on a paint job and a new logo. Hmm. That'd be awesome. Then I think, eh, maybe not. We have to learn to be content. Learn to say, okay, Lord, if this is your will, allow it to be. Lord, if you have this for me, allow it to come to pass. It's not easy in the world that we live in. And by the way, I'm still waiting for that commercial to come true where it's Christmas time and Hey, honey, look out the window, and there's like a brand new Lexus with a red bow on it. I don't see that happening in anybody's world that I know. Um, of course, in the, the perfect ideal world would be a Chevy Duramax, but, you know. What is it going to take to make us content? Maybe this morning, all of us need to say, you know what? Thank you, God, for what you've given to us. Even if you do nothing more, thank you. I've been blessed beyond measure. And if we're not satisfied, Lord, teach me to be content. Help me to learn it, Lord. However you see fit, help me to learn. Lord God, control my desires. Help me to funnel them through your purposes. And that applies to every area of life, from our health, to our hobbies, to our houses. You name it. It applies to every area of life. May we be like Paul. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about all the, the clothes and the drinks and the food. You have little faith. Trust me. I'll take care of it. The principles are there. May we apply them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. And may we be honest, as we requested in the beginning of this message, Lord. May we be honest about our state with you, Lord. 
As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask that for a moment this morning, that once again, we're honest.